0: Welcome to Backchat. If the Nature Podcast is a well-managed and tranquil aquarium, then Backchat is feeding time at the zoo. Our menagerie of topics this month includes predatory journals, the prognosis for coral, and a rare species called a time crystal. And no, most reporters who covered that didn't know what it was either. I'm Kerry Smith, and here are my three rare and exotic fauna.
2: Hello, Kerry. I'm Lizzie Gibney. I am a reporter here in London. I cover physics and astronomy.
3: Hello, everyone. I'm Daniel Cressy. I'm another reporter here in London.
1: And I'm Manya Baker. I'm a uh, editor in San Francisco. Lovely. Thanks, everyone. Now,
0: coming up in the show, nice work if you can fake it. A completely made-up scientist gets given editing positions at a rather long list of journals with questionable acceptance standards. The Great Barrier Reef is in peril, bleaching for the second year in a row due to warmer ocean temperatures. So what is in its future? And at the end of the show, we get familiar with time crystals, just one of the many scientific phrases that sound cooler to the average person than perhaps they actually are. Now, firstly, Monia, to you and the results of a sting operation that you're publishing this week.
1: Well, it started with four researchers at the Uni- University of Rocklaw in Poland. They were getting annoyed by all these invitations they were getting from from journals that had nothing to do with their field, field of research. So a predatory journal is a journal that does not care about quality and is publishing articles just to collect fees from authors. They don't provide peer review or other quality assurances that they say they do. So these authors decided that they were going to try to catch the predators out. They made up a scientist. Um, her name is Anna Osust. And that means Anna a fraud in Polish. They made up her CV. They made her fairly unqualified to be an editor at a journal. And then they popped off an email requesting an editor position at three hundred and sixty journals. hundred and twenty had been named as predators by a librarian in Colorado, and the rest were on two different kinds of white lists that had been vetted for quality. The Responses were uh, incredible. 40 alleged predatory journals uh, wrote back, often fairly quickly, accepting this fake applicant and then asking her to collect papers and sometimes offering to split the revenues uh, that the uh, fake editor brought in. How
0: generous of them. I mean, she was, I mean, when you say she was fairly unqualified, I don't think her CV that they'd made up for
1: her had any peer-reviewed papers on it at all, did, did it? It had some book Chapters, but it did not have peer-reviewed articles, um, and her, she signed her name as having a degree that in her letter she said she was working towards. So there was a contradiction right from the start.
0: And when you read the results that they they sent to you and that you're publishing in a comment article this week, I mean, were you surprised to find how many of how many journals had had just kind of unequivocally said yes to her?
1: I wasn't as surprised that so many said yes, but I was surprised at just how mercenary the replies were. Um, one of the replies says, please send the following details to Western Union. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> um, they were both trying to collect money directly from the applicant and also asking the applicant to pull in articles from her friends and colleagues um, that for which they would pay publication fees.
0: And I mean, how big is the danger from journals like this? Because like even into our own email inboxes here, I'm sure you guys get as many as I do of these sort of like, please send me your articles for the proceedings of the whatever it is, international insert made up meeting here. I mean, it's obvious that there's spam, isn't it?
1: Well, I think it's obvious that it's spam, but I think it's not obvious to everyone. I. I also think that there are plenty of authors who submit to predatory journals knowing exactly what they're doing. They simply want to be able to say that they've they've gotten a publication.
3: This is one of the questions I always have with these journals because it seems like some of them are so obviously not legitimate that the vast majority of people who submit papers there must know what they're getting. There was another study that was done recently by a team who looked at the kind of different factors um, that seem to link predatory and non-predatory journals and they found that the the average publication fee in what they listed as a predatory journal was about $100 whereas the average open access publication fee was $1,800. I mean... If this was a shop and you walked in, and or you were looking on the internet, and one company that like had spelling mistakes all over its website said they could do you something for a fiver, and another one said it was going to cost you fifty quid or a hundred quid, like you'd know what was going on there.
0: Either way
2: it's a bit of a scourge though isn't it That's it and what can we do about it like i wonder what kind of an impact this sting will have because now it's been charted in a kind of systematic and thorough way
1: I mean but i, I don't know can you go to some length to shut them down or i i think that what will shut them down will be if people are if researchers are no longer rewarded by the number of entries on their cvs i think that if the reviewing committees, the tenure committees, the promotion committees that are giving researchers credit actually look at the quality of the papers themselves rather than, than counting them. I think we,
3: we, we should go further. Instead of just dismissing these articles from people's applications, we should be actively penalising people. I mean, Unless they can demonstrate that they really were scammed by a journal... Because it's these are the people trying to cheat the system in a large number of cases.
1: Yeah, I've 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 heard that that idea before, and it's it gets really tough because there's no authoritative list of what is a pred- predator. Um, the librarian. In Colorado, his his list was very controversial. It was something that he um, did on his own own initiative, and some people questioned uh, some of the titles that were listed on there. And he's recently taken it down um, uh, because of what what many people assume are are legal threats. He he's not saying.
0: It's interesting that it existed in the first place, as you say, because of all the threats. You'd think he would be uh, party to, and indeed. Uh, I think he had it. He was threatened with a one billion dollar lawsuit at, at one point, right, Monia?
1: Well, we the authors sent out emails to everybody who had accepted Doctor Fraud, and um, among the replies that they got was an email saying that from somebody who who um, had a lawyer's name but came from a a non professional email address, saying that that law firm was responsible for getting Biel's list taken down because he had been sued for a billion dollars.
2: But I don't think we actually know why Beal's list was taken down yet. I think
0: that's still... Yeah, that's
1: still up
0: for discussion, I think.
1: Yeah, there's no official word that I'm aware of.
0: Has the uh, popularity and the prevalence of open access journals kind of enabled these other predatory journals to exist? Because after all, that's the model, isn't it? The author pays to have their submission published.
1: The fact that the author is paying is what allows these predatory journals journals to exist. So you have the open access model where nobody pays to read an article; instead, the author pays, usually, to have it have it published.
3: I just want to say that in in some cases that's that's another issue here which we should be considering. That this is, in a lot of cases, this may be public money that's being spent. These are government research grants, government funded researchers. And that money is taxpayers' money and it's going to these completely junk journals. And we expect scientists to keep to such high standards and so much of their work and jump through so many hoops to get approval for their experiments and to get their grants and to kind of and to do all the work, the brilliant work that they do. And yet right at the end, they're saying, OK, yeah, fine, go off, publish it wherever you like.
1: And, and it's not just the money that goes into the publication fees that's being lost. It's the money that's going into the research, assuming that the research was actually done. And, um, because a lot of the predatory journals aren't indexed. You could not find the – once that article is, quote, unquote, published, other people won't be able to find it.
2: One thing I loved about this, Monia, is where you give the responses from some of the more responsible journals, where they very kindly reply and say things like, well, um, we probably won't have you as an editor on our board, but you might start with actually publishing some papers, and then maybe reviewing some papers, and then eventually, this is where you may end up. I thought that was lovely.
1: I, I read all of the uh, email correspondence, and for some of the, the quality journals, people there really took some time to try to guide an early career researcher who did not seem to have a lot of experience or sophistication about how to build build her career. It was such a contrast to the people who were simply asking Dr. Fraud to collect papers and, and income Even a cursory inspection is not necessarily happening.
3: As an aside, Dr. Fraud is a great supervillain name. Yeah. It should totally be a sequel or a spin off comic book featuring Dr. Fraud.
0: Professor Cursory Inspection versus Dr. Fraud. (laughs) Having dealt then with one system, including one ecosystem, including uh, the predators we've just discussed, um, let's move on to a very different type of ecosystem. In, um, In rather poor health, Dan. The Great Barrier Reef has been in the news, not for extremely happy reasons.
3: Yeah, the the Great Barrier Reef has been on the cover of nature in recent weeks and also all over just about every other newspaper in the world. And the reason for this is the coral bleaching that is occurring there and also occurred there last year.
0: And this, um, for those of us who don't know too much about bleaching and why it happens and how frequent it is, people
3: are very worried about this. Yeah, so corals bleach basically when the water gets too hot, they expel these uh, symbiotic algae that live inside them. And that is pretty bad for their health. uh, If the bleaching is very bad, those corals can actually die and then the reef is obviously affected by that because they're quite important species. Before recent times, there were two kind of historical bleaching events known on the barrier reef and then last year there was a very, very big bleaching event that a lot of people were very worried about. The paper that Nature put out this month uh, analyses these three past bleaching events and, and what it shows is that the pattern of the bleaching correlates very well with basically how hot the water temperature is. And one of the sort of important conclusions to draw from this is that you can't really locally manage bleaching events very well because the real problem is that the sea is getting warmer and if we don't do something about global warming well, these coral reefs are going to be in serious trouble.
0: It's the same, isn't it, with um, a lot of these these kind of symbols of climate change. I'm thinking of, like, polar bears standing on melting iceberg, um, and now we have here this this big symbol of something that's kind of unconquerably difficult.
3: It's also a huge and complex system, and we have to be careful not to overstate it. There's been a lot of disquiet amongst coral researchers about stories that say the Barrier Reef is dead, or even, in some cases, the Barrier Reef is dying. I mean, the reef is a huge, complex ecosystem. There are lots of individual corals that, that are now dead as a result of these bleaching events. But... Um, Some of the the scientists who've done the most work there are very, very adamant that we we shouldn't give up on it as a system. We shouldn't think of it as dead and we shouldn't start writing its obituary as as one media source did last year.
1: So can the areas where there has been a bleaching event recover? And how often does that happen and under what
3: conditions? Yeah, that's a good question and it's um, it's one of these questions where it's not there's no simple answer. Like Corals can recover from bleaching events or, or they can die and that depends on the severity of the event, which again in some cases is linked to how hot the water actually gets. And even if the coral dies, that doesn't mean that everything there is dead. I mean those corals can in some cases be reseeded uh, with other corals. Uh, new species can grow there. But one of the concerns is that corals grow very slowly so if your corals die off something that grows a lot faster but is maybe a lot less useful to the ecosystem can move in pretty quickly and you could just get like an overgrowth of some sort of horrible algae that you don't really want.
1: I know forestry researchers are, are trying to do migration for trees so they're actually physically moving trees that are for, are are adapted to grow in warmer areas to places that are newly become warm? Is there any possibility for that kind of remediation?
3: Yeah, coral restoration is something that there's a lot of interest in and that a lot of people are trying. The issue, though, is that the size of these reefs in a lot of cases, I mean, you look at the Barrier Reef, it stretches up a huge swathe of the Australian coast and you can maybe grow some coral elsewhere and reseed small parts of that. But I think... No one is seriously considering fixing the bleaching of the scale that we've seen on the Barrier Reef last year, for example. I mean, you're looking at hundreds of individual reefs over hundreds of kilometres.
0: Have you been frustrated by what you've seen in the media as the characterisation of, of this event? Like, have lots of people been using the word dead, the word dying, when really they shouldn't have been?
3: It's certainly problematic. There's a real tendency to say the reef is dying and to say, th- say the reef as if it's like one thing and it's dying as if it's definitely happening. So, yeah, it's easy to, to kind of spin this the wrong way or to not caveat it properly.
0: Speaking of uh, spin, speaking of mischaracterizing things, speaking of scientific topics which the media love... Uh, and have been putting everywhere, time for time crystals. yeah. I'm so favorite. glad you're here to explain <laughs> what on earth a time crystal is. Yeah, so
2: this one was a lot of fun. The issue with this story is that time crystals are a super cool notion in theory, but the kind of time crystal that has actually been experimentally realised is not the kind that was initially imagined and that everybody gets more easily in their head. So the general notion of a time crystal is something that repeats it does in time what many things do in space already so you imagine a, a normal crystal like a salt you have a lattice and it has this periodicity to it and its atoms all find fixed places so you can imagine that instead of doing that in space you had something that did it in time so it cycles in some way coming back to her, to its original configuration and the idea is that like a crystal it would be in its its lowest energy state its ground state That would be something really weird, right? Because imagine it it has... It couldn't have any lower energy, and yet there's some kind of cyclic process happening within it. Well, it's
0: kind of generating energy from somewhere. Well,
2: exactly. That's what it sounds like it's doing, which is clearly mad. And that's what everybody thought when Frank Wilczek proposed it in 2012. Well, they, they thought it was mad, but also kind of brilliant because it's not that crazy, given that lots of strange things happen in the quantum world. You actually have superconductors, which in theory would would forever conduct electricity, right? So that can kind of be thought
0: of as some kind of perpetual motion. So all of these implications fascinating as they are this prediction that was theoretical That would have been great, wouldn't it, if that was the news? It would have been
2: absolutely fantastic. My story would have been so easy to write. It wasn't the news, (laughs) was it? It was not the news. So the news is we have made time crystals, yay, Mm. but they are really quite different from that original kind of time crystal. Now, mathematically, they fit all the criteria, and to a physicist, they're totally fine with this being a, a time crystal. So they don't completely spontaneously come up with their own with a periodicity out of nothing, but what they do do is have a period that doesn't match the uh, the regularity with which they are being kicked or pushed in some way. You have like a driving force. But okay, so this is not cool in the way we originally thought, but it's cool in a completely different way. Um, this happens in out-of-equilibrium systems. They are constantly evolving and changing and, and, and aren't in a steady state, and yet they somehow have this stability in that they go through this regular cycling. I can tell
0: how excited you are by this. <laughs> and using you as a proxy for the physics community, I can tell that they were probably pretty excited by yep. this not-quite-an-original-time-crystal idea. You know, it, it kind of surprised me to see it reported, though, so widely by the mainstream press, who bravely took it on and and actually do a good job of reporting difficult things like, you know, the Higgs boson, for instance. Um, but where did people trip up? I
2: was quite pleased to see actually there was only maybe one, maybe two that just completely ignored the fact that it wasn't the original kind of time crystal. Um, There are some that did that. The rest, we had some great uh, analogies as well when this, this idea that it responds with a periodicity that doesn't match. The periodicity with which it's being driven produce some some great analogies. So the one that I used in my story, which came from um, one of the uh, one of the authors of the paper, and, and ended up actually being quite ubiquitous because I guess lots of people spoke to him, is about using. Uh, you have people playing with a skipping rope, and in the Check example, it would be like the skipping rope just starts swinging around all by itself. In this example, it would be that you have to use your arm and rotate it twice for you to actually get. The rope to go around once. Other people uh, tried to describe it by saying it's like hitting a piano key twice, but just getting one note. And there was one about zorbing, which because I've done all the research on this, I know. And it's actually really good. It's a very good description, but I am really not convinced that. The everyday reader would have got it. It's about like imagine you've got loads of zorbs, you know those um, those big balls that you uh, the clear you plastic in... human
0: sized exactly. and you run inside them like guinea pigs exactly basically.
2: and maybe like tumble down a hill and the idea it was kind of talking about if you put a, a, block, a big spot on it and then you watch what happens to the spots and it's it's trying to introduce uh, the idea of the systems in which this actually works. So you have a driving force, you also need interactions between them, um, and you also need an element of random disorder.
0: I the rope the skipping rope I found helpful the piano keys i mean mind-blowing but still i get the idea and the one with the zorbs frankly i just couldn't you know keep head or tail of it i mean I did these neon blobs going around on zorbs and and then the rest of the time crystal stories fell out of my head i couldn't
3: quite cope with that can we go right back to the beginning a time crystal <laughs> is it a physical thing and what is it actually made out of
2: okay so yes it's a physical thing that it's made out of two different systems in this case so one is uh, ytterbium. i hope i said that right um eterbium atoms and there are a string of 10 of them so it's not a physical movement what's happening is it's the flipping of the spins of these atoms that is showing the periodicity so you zap it with a laser twice to get it back to the beginning and the other system is also spins but not of um not in the same way it's in little uh, defects within diamond and A bit flippantly, several of the researchers I spoke to for this story said, yeah, it doesn't entirely
0: make sense that it works in that system. Uh, But we're just going to gloss over that a little bit. So much glossing. (laughs) So much glossing in this story. Is there a story that you've done more glossing for than this, do you Um, think? I mean, in every quantum mechanics story, you have
2: to just, you often end up saying, because quantum weirdness. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So
0: that's fine. And David, I think, has the same when he covers maths for us. Yeah, um, that then he goes, Because topology. Yeah. And everyone goes, Oh, that's that's fine. They just
3: things to go. Think of a donut or a bagel.
0: And then everyone's hungry and then you're off topic. I actually love there's there's a kind of particular subtype of British humour that just relies on awkwardness and I love when I ask someone a question or I try out an analogy on them, is it a bit like and then it just falls complete. they don't know what to say. It just well, quite often they say um, yeah, it's it's a bit more like and then they go on to say something completely different and you're like oh that's sweet so mine was completely wrong. Earlier today I tried out an analogy that involved the crown jewels and the architecture that's been built around the crown jewels in order to get people in and allow them to have the transformative experience of looking at the crown jewels and then leaving the building and I can't even remember where I was going with that and the guy on the other and the phone just said, I mean it it's basically okay, I just need to go now
1: uh, so I, I'm still really confused. I mean, in a if you have a three-dimensional so so the thing the reason they're called crystals is because they repeat regularly and that's what that's what three-dimensional crystals do
2: and the rigidity part of it, the fact that they are um they have this kind of set periodicity that you can't easily change
1: okay. And so, like, for three-dimensional crystals, you have to have a certain number of particles to get the repeating patterns. Is that also analogous? Well, in time, the
2: equivalent would be there saying you need it to last a particular length of time, which I guess is true. I mean, if you did it once, probably that wouldn't really mean anything. You need to... In this case, they, I think they did 100
0: cycles. This conversation is the exact reason why most reporters just put their caps lock on and wrote, time crystals, absorbing, and then went home.
1: So... I'm just thinking like the the hope diamond, right? That's a really really exciting because it's a it's sort of a big big crystal. And so now are we going to get really long long crystals? Like this crystal lasted 3 <laughs> hours or <laughs> yeah, that
0: would be really cool. I mean, to me. Are there any other terms just out of interest that you guys know that are more exciting than the reality of them? I don't know one of mine would actually be
1: How dare you, (laughs) Dr. Fraud? What are you doing
0: here? Okay, point taken. Okay, well, thank you to Lizzie Gibney. And Dan Cressy here in London and Monia Baker in San Francisco. You can find more of their work and the rest of the Nature Magazine team's work at nature.com news and find more audio updates on science from us at nature.com nature slash podcast. If you have thoughts about anything you've heard on the show, do drop us a line on Twitter at naturepodcast or at naturenews or by email podcast at nature.com. That is enough at for the time being. You can also vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. There's a listener choice category and we'd be thrilled if you chose us go to britishpodcastawards.com slash vote search for nature and enter your name i'm kerry smith and thanks to you all for listening imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time